Happy Monday, Liberty lovers. And this portion of the program is typically reserved for our paid sponsors. But today, I'm going to do something a little different and tell you about something we are doing. We are partnering with our friend Gret Glier and his great organization, Donor C. He's been on the show a couple of times, and they are putting together a great package to help people that are suffering from not specifically coronavirus, but the effects of coronavirus and all the mania surrounding it. Uh, there are so many different ways this is impacting people around the world, uh, from access to food, from being able to perform certain functions due to the, the ban on social gatherings, uh, to just getting hand sanitizer to people that need it. There are so many people out there that are flying under the radar that can really use extra help right now. So we at Lions of Liberty have pledged, uh, at least for the month of March and April, uh, we'll see how this thing goes. If it continues, we will continue to pledge. We are going to pledge 10% of our Patreon money to this project at DonorC. I'm going to have a show later on today separately uh, with Gret talking about that. But until then, you can head over to DonorC.com slash coronavirus to learn more about this project and the various specific causes that you can support. But just know that anyone who joins our Patreon at Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, 10% of that money for the foreseeable future, at least, will be going to support that cause and to support Donor C's efforts to help people suffering from all the fallout from the effects of the coronavirus and the ensuing economic fallout from all of the shutdowns around the world. So if you are considering supporting us on Patreon in these difficult times, and I'll talk a little bit more about what we're going to be doing on Patreon and with this show uh, in the main body of the program in just a second, but please do head over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty and know that 10% of your money will be going to help people will be going to this great cause. Hello, Liberty lovers, and uh, it's been a while. It might not seem like it's been a while for you guys because you've been getting an episode every single Monday of the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast from me, Mark Clare. But the truth is, it's been a bit of an illusion because I was actually traveling for a couple of weeks. I was overseas. Well, not really overseas. I was in Mexico. It's connected by land. So technically not overseas, but I was out of the country and I had a few shows banked, including the Liberty Draft, uh, which you heard last week. And boy, did I return to a world that quickly turned upside down. I think it was the day after I got back here that I saw that uh, an NBA game had been canceled because a player had tested positive. And then before you knew it, the NBA had canceled its season and then before you know it everything just kind of took off from there uh, and it seemed like everything was just shutting down business wise a lot of businesses were, were doing this voluntarily my company did it voluntarily and was only keeping on uh, certain staff uh, for, for operations purposes, uh, which did include me for a couple days. Uh, but now that the California order has come down, uh, I am currently not working either. I'm, I'm lucky to be a staff and I am getting paid to do currently nothing because uh, unfortunately my job cannot be done remotely. My, what I do professionally can really only be done on site at certain events. And uh, as you know, events aren't really things right now. So things are a little bit uncertain right now. I have a paycheck, but uh, I don't know what's going to unfold next week or the week after or the week after that uh, if this continues. So uh, things are uncertain for everybody right now. And uh, I want to take a little time to give my thoughts on this because the truth is my thoughts are, are varied and uh, and confusing. Like maybe many of like they are for many of you, perhaps, um, because at the end of the day, I, I'm a human just like the rest of you. And I'm going through what a lot of you are going through. Like to be completely honest, I, I went through a very deep period of fear for a couple of days uh, when you know suddenly everybody I know is out, is out of work. Um, you know, the state governments are ordering shutdowns, ordering businesses to close. And uh, there, there are fine reasons to feel the, the feeling of fear, especially if you're someone who's been following um, libertarianism and e Austrian economics. And you can see the power of the state growing through this, regardless of the legitimacy, whether it's a completely fake virus that we don't need to worry about or, or is just as bad as the common cold, as some people seem to think, or whether it is as bad as the worst people, as the worst experts out there predict, either way, it's going to be used to 
curtail our liberties, and it is being used to curtail our liberties. And that is why, no matter how we feel, no matter what kind of feelings of fear we might be feeling, it's important to use that fear and channel it into something positive. And the best thing that I know that we here at Lions of Liberty can do is to channel that into the ideas of liberty, into continuing to do what we've done for over six years here and continue to be beacons of light, uh, shining beacons of liberty, if you will, as I as I dubbed myself on the very first episode of Lions of Liberty way back in the day. And I guess it just sort of stuck in the intro. Uh, but really, the most important thing to us has always been to find creative and fun ways to excite people about the ideas of liberty, to get people interested in looking at government in a different way, in looking at how they look at their and act towards their fellow man to their fellow individuals in a different way and not just use the state to control each other, no matter what the issue is, whether it's a war, whether it's a virus, whatever it is, we have to be strong, principled voices for the ideas of liberty. And I'm very proud that I have two people, not just two people. I mean, we've got a whole team of people here now, but I've got my two hosts, Brian McWilliams and John Odermatt, who I know are about as solid as can possibly be, even though we disagree on many issues here and there and and things like that. Um, I I couldn't ask to have any other two co-hosts that are are more solid in their principles and their dedication to this cause, along with our other hosts who've been doing a great job, Howie, JB, Rico. uh, They've been doing so much on the coronavirus. Uh, There was just another podcast recorded this weekend for our Lions of Liberty Pride, another uh, conspiracy corner type dive into coronavirus. But um, this has really gone outside of the realm of just conspiracy and into looking at how this is affecting our lives and how this is shaping the nature of the state and how it's going to shape things going forward. Because I'd love to say this too shall pass. And I think it will pass in many ways. Uh, We will go on. The world will not end. Uh, But there are going to be a lot of problems resulting from this, especially if they continue to shut down the economy. And I think intellectually, no one is more prepared for this than libertarians. But in reality, not everybody is really prepared. I'll be honest, I'm not nearly as prepared as I hope to be, as I should have been, as I should be. Uh, because I spent many years essentially prepping in a big house. But a couple of years ago, I had a bit of a change. Uh, I moved into a smaller place, didn't replace a lot of the stuff I had. And I found myself, you know, thinking, man, I am a little freaked out by, by this rush on goods here. Uh, I'm not quite as stocked up as I know I should be. And I'm going to be doing a lot of shows in the near future. Like, we've really stuck to our format, our Monday Wednesday, Friday format uh, for many years. Of course, this show, the flagship on Mondays, uh, you got Brian with Electric Liberty Land giving his hilarious and outrageous takes on everything on Electric Liberty Land every single Wednesday. And John Odermatt wrapping things up on Fridays with his inspiring, hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. We're going to be here doing those same three shows each and every week, but the fact is, I got free time now. I got a lot more free time now, and I'm going to take advantage of it, and I think that that's what we all need to do out there. Take advantage. If you're in a situation where you find yourself unable to go to work or unable to do what you would normally do, take advantage of it and develop new skills. Do more of what you're passionate about. Uh, for a long time, I have been, my biggest problem has been not having enough time between my full-time job between my freelance work, between my life uh, and this podcast and trying to actually build new skills and do some other things. Well, guess what? Now I've got the time. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to use this time to grow myself personally, to do a lot of things that I wasn't able to do and to give you guys more content. So I'm, I'm not making any specific promises about days, times or anything like that, but I can tell you I'm going to be doing a lot of content in the coming weeks. I've reached out to a few people about doing shows related to the coronavirus, not necessarily the virus itself, uh, but a lot of the economic fallout and how we can prepare ourselves and how we can better deal with what is coming and what is unfolding and try to give you even more updates uh, than we normally might. Uh, So we do expect to have the the regular crew uh, doing more shows on the coronavirus, the Conspiracy Corner crew, which usually consists of Howie, Rico, JB, uh, usually myself, I was not on the last couple of them, but uh, we'll be we'll be giving you a lot of updates from the in-house crew, and I'll be doing a lot more shows probably than usual uh, in the coming weeks. And while I will have the regular flagship show, you might see a, a, an interview pop up on a Thursday. You might see a show pop up on a Saturday. Uh, we're not going to really restrain ourselves too much as far as that goes. So you're still going to get the bare minimum, the pride, our Patreon supporters. They're going to get even more. They're going to get everything we do as soon as I do it. And uh, the public as well will be benefiting uh, from this situation from this extra time because we're going to really be putting all that we have into this uh i think it's it's the maybe it's the universe telling us here's your chance (laughs) you wanted to do this full time you want to make this your thing well you've got a window now so that's the way i'm looking at this i'm looking at this as even more motivation to dive deeper 
into uh, this podcast and to grow it even further to really make it what we really believe it can be, which is something huge, something that reaches so many people out there and inspires many others, as it already has, to create their own podcast, um, to create, to find their own voice out there. And uh, we're going to spread this thing. We're going to spread this thing faster than the coronavirus. That's right. We're going to spread these ideas because no matter what comes at us, whether it is a virus, whether it is an encroaching state, the ideas of liberty are always what need to be held front and center because either way, that's what's going to get us out of things. That's what's going to provide us the best solutions. And that's when I, what is going to prevent us from seeing a complete tyrannical takeover, um, which already seems to be happening in many ways and people seem to be accepting it. Well, that's why we need to be here. We need to be talking about this stuff. We need to be out there informing people. We need to be out there as strong voices for the ideas of liberty. And I have ranted for a while. Uh, we continue to plan to rant and rave. Uh, but for now, uh, I, I felt I did feel a fall a little behind in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, but luckily, I had something in the can for you. And on the subject of inspiring others to the ideas of liberty, I think this is actually quite fitting. I gave a speech a few weeks ago at the Libertarian Party of California State Convention. This was uh, basically a speech about what I've learned from interviewing hundreds of libertarians, and I essentially laid out the various ways in which people are inspired to the ideas of liberty. We also had a great question and answer session afterwards that I'll keep on there, which uh, did include a little praise for myself from one of the audience members, which uh, I'll always take. Uh, but um, uh, it's just a, re- a good reminder that there are so many ways to reach people. Uh, so I really want you to take a listen to this speech that I gave uh, a few weeks ago. I would love you guys to also go watch a little video that we put together of uh, myself and Brian's experience at the Libertarian Party of California State Convention. I will post that in today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 444. Friends, enjoy the talk. I'll circle back to you at the end for a little post-show wrap-up. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Let me see. I don't want to have to hold this. I'm going to try to get it nice and close. Oh, good morning, libertarians. Good morning. Thank you for coming, and thank you for being patient while uh, I did libertarian things, like being late and getting organized, all that stuff. Um, and I really appreciate you guys coming to my talk right now. I know there's a lot of stuff you could be doing. You could be doing business on the floor. You could be campaigning. You could be politicking. You could be at the bar, which I can confirm is open, so I've heard. Um, but uh, and you could also be, of course, at the 9-11 truth thing the other way. So I really do appreciate you choosing me over the truth about 9-11. I'm sure that was a really hard decision to make. Do I want to find out the truth finally, or do I want to listen to this hippie libertarian podcaster talk for 30 minutes? So, appreciate you choosing me, and uh, for those of you that don't know me, many of you may know me as the host of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Um, I co-founded it over six years ago. I co-founded the website uh, with a couple of friends of mine, including the uh, man with the total opposite hair of me over here, Brian McWilliams. Some of you might just know me as the guy who begged you to come see my talk, so... However you know me, um, I did find the, found the podcast over six years ago uh, where I basically started it because I wanted to get into the minds of libertarians and kind of learn what makes them think, learn what uh, sort of motivates people to, to be out there and become passionate libertarians. And when I look at this room, I, I think to, I had, this question comes to mind, like, what motivates us? What motivates us to be here right now? Um, it's President's Day weekend. You're giving up your President's Day weekend to be here at a libertarian party convention. Uh, hello. <laughs> it's the day after Valentine's Day. I'm sure all of you had to tell your Valentine's Day sweethearts, like, honey, we got to take it a little easy tonight. I've got a Libertarian Party convention tomorrow. That's what I had to do anyway. Um, but you've chosen to be here in, in Culver City at the Doubletree, doing Libertarian things, doing Libertarian Party business, spreading the ideas in the way you've chosen to, at least in this juncture, through the Libertarian Party. And what motivates people to do this? What motivates people to kind of become so passionate about something that we take our time away from all the many things we could be out there doing? You could be at the boardwalk. You could be at Universal Studios. You could be eating mushrooms with Michael Bolden. I don't, I mean, I don't know what you guys do on your free time, but you've chosen to be here and get down to business. And this is the question that I've, I've asked myself and really asked my guests over the past six years. Um, kind of just the question of what, what motivates people to take, to take their time out of their lives and to do something to spread these ideas, whether it's through the political system, whether it's through podcasting, whether it's being an author, um, what have you. Um, so that's the question that I've kind of dived into over the last six years. Um, so and as far as I'm concerned, the main task of libertarians right now has to be to create more libertarians, to find people that are passionate 
and to sort of send them down a path. And there are many ways that people go down these paths. And um, I kind of want to look at today um, sort of a few of the different paths that people take to becoming libertarians, some of the different directions that they take coming to these ideas. And I can kind of put them into a few different categories. And one of the first category is the least common. If it was more common, we wouldn't have to do all this work spreading these ideas. It would already be done for us. This is the people that were raised as libertarians, that were born into a libertarian household and sort of always held these ideas. And this is the rarest group for sure. Um, but of course, the chairman of this party, Nicholas Sarwark, was raised in a libertarian family. He's always grown up as a libertarian. Um, Avins O'Brien, many of you may be familiar with her as being part of uh, the California State Party. Uh, of course, she's not here today because she decided to go to something called Anarcho Poco, which actually sounds a lot more fun. <laughs> And I'm thinking, rethinking my life decisions. Anyway, um, moving on. That, that is the, by far the rarest type. Of course, as we all know, most of us are not born into these ideas. Uh, these ideas come completely counter to what we're usually taught by our parents, by the media, uh, by our politicians. It, it really takes, some, some, something has to trigger us to sort of go down a different path and start thinking about things differently. Uh, so the first type of person that I would call, um, that is kind of taking a different path that wasn't born a libertarian, I would sort of call the awakened conservative slash Republican slash neoconservative. And there's a few guests that stand out that kind of come from this, this pathway. Uh, one of them is a guy named Tom Woods. You may have heard of him. Uh, he, when he was on my show in 2015, he told me that he had been sort of a standard conservative with, with fairly, fairly normal Republican views, uh, being for the war on drugs, being in favor of an aggressive foreign policy, all of those things, and of course, typical small government at home. And uh, when he went to college, he told me that he, he started to get into debates uh, with communists. Like, he really wanted to challenge their views and challenge his views, and he was always looking to debate. And as he was looking to inform himself better, he, he just kept reading and reading and reading. So he would read works by different economists, and uh, he ended up attending Mises University. Um, and he said finally that it was reading articles from a magazine called The Chronicle. And this is in the early 90s, so there was the, um, the, the first Gulf War was going on. And this is the one place that Tom would go, and he would see... Republican or libertarian or conservative authors, I should say, but they were against the wars. They were actually speaking out against aggressive foreign policy, which he never saw anywhere else in these Republican circles. So when he finally started to see these, these otherwise conservative voices, uh, at least for what he had believed was conservatism, talking about being against the foreign policy, being against the wars overseas, he started to think a little more deeply about things. And he started to say, wait a minute, I've been deceived this whole time. I've been deceived into thinking that somehow an aggressive foreign policy and nation building is somehow consistent with these ideas of personal freedom and individual responsibility, and they're the complete opposite. How could you possibly advocate for small government while advocating to go destroy countries around the world, bomb them to smithereens, and rebuild the entire country while pretending you're for small government? It doesn't make any sense. And that really triggered Tom Woods to start thinking completely differently about things and to eventually adopt the full libertarian philosophy, uh, being against the war on drugs, rejecting those parts of the Republican philosophy that were not consistent. Another one that stands out is a woman by the name of Julie Borowski. She was a self-described, on my show, I interviewed her actually, one of my very first guests in 2013. She described herself as a neocon who wanted to bomb the Middle East for some reason. She wasn't sure why, but that's what she was told. That's what she was told we had to do to keep ourselves safe from terrorism. And this changed for her one day when she was watching the Republican debates, and she heard this guy named Ron Paul criticizing U.S. foreign policy and calling for ending the war on drugs, even calling for legalizing heroin, and this really kind of, again, opened her mind to these new ideas. How can this guy be on the stage being a Republican, saying these things? But when she actually listened and saw the passion in his voice, and you can, he, she sort of saw the truth coming out, the truth being very uh, shown barely, as, uh, you know, even as he's being mocked by moderators, as he's being mocked by his opponents, he was still there saying the same things over and over and being consistent. And that, that kind of led her down the pathway of looking into the philosophy a lot further to the point that she eventually did become a full-fledged libertarian and became against the war on drugs and became against U.S. foreign policy. Another one I'll mention um, is actually one of my co-hosts, a guy named John Odermatt, and he hosts one of our shows on Lions of Liberty, and uh, he's focusing on the, on the criminal justice system. But when I, I, I've been friends with John since college, as well as Brian, and um, his transformation can kind of be taken back to around 2007, 
when him and I were in a uh, seedy bar in Riverside, tossing back double Jack and Cokes or something of that nature, and uh, somehow the topic of politics came up, and I was going on some kind of rant about something or other, uh, something against the war or something like that, and he had just assumed because I was against the war, and he was a Republican, again, just holding fairly standard Republican views in terms of the war on drugs, in terms of foreign policy, and I started to go off about against the war, and he just presumed I must be like a Hillary Clinton supporter or a Barack Obama supporter. And he was shocked to find out that it was actually this 70-something-year-old Texas Republican that I was supporting, and he had never heard of this guy, Ron Paul, and uh, he was blown away. He, he just couldn't comprehend that there was a Republican that was running for president that was actually against the wars, that actually didn't want to throw people in cages for owning plants. And um, this, again, started his pathway to think a little bit differently. And then when he finally did see Ron Paul in the debates... You know, he started to see the same thing, the same thing that Julie Borowski saw. He, he started to see a consistency that wasn't there with the other people on stage. Um, the, I guess the, the truthfulness sort of shined through for him, but it was really just that first conversation that led him down that path. One more I'll mention just for, uh, and I did actually interview this person. Uh, that's my dad. When I was, uh, again, around the same time, around 2007, I was very enthusiastic about Ron Paul's campaign and the things he was talking about. And my dad, again, was a fairly standard Republican. Uh, I grew up sort of listening to, you know, driving in the car with him, listening to AM radio, listening to Rush Limbaugh and Hannity and all these guys. And um, he, he felt, held fairly standard Republican views, but um, I was convinced to try to get him on board. So I sent him some YouTube video of Ron Paul going on some rant um, about the Iraq war or something like that. And my dad just replied, keep your money. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I was not deterred, however, <laughs> and I continued to spam him with YouTube videos and say, I think, I think you really got to listen to him. I think you should give him a closer look. And eventually, uh, to keep a long story short, one of those emails finally came back with, you know, I've, I've thought about it a little more and I think he's actually right. And uh, I donated money to him and, you know, I, and he actually ended up voting for Ron Paul. So maybe my dad's not a full-fledged libertarian, but I did win him over to some extent. Another type I would describe as the bleeding heart or former progressive or former Democrat. And these are people who generally come from a place where they, they care most about the poor, about helping people, um, about protecting the environment. Um, those are the kind of issues that are typically associated with the left wing today. And the first person that really comes to mind for me is a woman by the name of Mary Ruart. She's, of course, the author of the book Healing Our World in an Age of Aggression, as well as several other books, been a very active member of the Libertarian Party. And uh, she described to me when I interviewed her in 2015 that um, she really, when she was in high school, she started to think about politics, and she just really cared about people. She cared about helping people. She cared about helping the poor, the destitute, people that, were, that, get, that had a hard break in life. And because it just seemed to be the natural thing to do, she just, she just started to identify with Democrats, with progressive politics, because that's who talked about that stuff more. Um, it was only when she stumbled upon a book called Atlas Shrugged that she started to think a little bit differently, and she started to sort of go down the rabbit hole and actually learn more about economics, and she began to realize that the things that she thought was helping were actually hurting. Um, she began to realize that the welfare state actually held people down and kept them from rising up. She actually realized that that foreign aid never helps the people we think it's helping or that it intends to help. It always, it always, kind of, uh, it always ends up hurting people. And as she began to realize this, she began to realize that our entire system of government was based around the concept of aggression. Our entire political system was based around aggression. I assume there's something funny going on over here. Sorry, yeah, if you want to learn about Second Amendment sanctuaries, tune in later for Michael Bolden's speech. <laughs> he actually purchased this time on my speech. <laughs> that check did not clear, by the way. You told me there was a Venmo thing coming, and I don't know what happened. 10% off. Use code LIONS at this at checkout. <laughs> to purchase your Second Amendment package today. Okay. Well, that's actually funny. I was, well, let me finish talking about Mary. She, as I was saying, uh, she, was, she eventually realized that our system was based around aggression. We're always aggressing against each other. We're always initiating violence against our, our fellow man through the political system to achieve our ends. And she realized you can't start with aggression. You can't base your system around violence and expect a good result. And that led her to write her, her seminal work, Healing Our World in the, in the Age of Aggression, which is a phenomenal work. Um, but speaking of Michael Bolden, he actually came from uh, the progressive end as well. I'm not going to tell you his whole bio. Maybe he'll tell you about that in the, in the speech that he's advertising right now. 
But I do recommend reading his biography on um, the Southern Poverty Law Center's website to learn a little bit more about Michael Bolden. They did a really good breakdown of his whole thing. He's really high on CBD gummies right now, so. Uh, moving along, there's actually a subcategory I have here of this kind. That is the former communists. Believe it or not, there are actual communists that have gone on to become libertarians, one of which may surprise you. Um, a gentleman who's gone on to become one of the biggest intellectual giants in the libertarian movement, a gentleman by the name of Walter Block. When he was on one of my very first podcasts, he described to me how when he was young, which is long time ago. Uh, he was a rabid communist. He was convinced that the best way to help people was to have a strong government that controlled everything to make sure everything was fair, everything was equal, and everybody got what they needed. And it was actually when he went to a, um, I don't know if it was a, a conference or something like that, that was by, by Ayn Rand and uh, Nathaniel Brandon. He actually went up to Nathaniel Brandon and said, I want to debate you. I want to debate you about and tell you why communism is the best. I want to debate against capitalism. And, the, and Nathaniel Brandon told him, okay, I'll have this debate with you as long as you promise a couple things. I want you to promise you'll continue the debate. If you, you know, if you're not just going to bounce out. If you don't hear what you like, you'll continue to listen and kind of bounce the ideas back and forth. And I want you to promise to read two books. Those two books were, well, of course, Atlas Shrugged. Uh, since he was sitting next to Ayn Rand, to be weird not to mention that, probably. And uh, Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. And those two books sent Walter Block down a different path, learning more about economics, um, getting into the Austrian school, and, of course, eventually becoming one of the biggest intellectual minds in our movement, authoring hundreds of academic papers, and finally, finally providing the answer to the question we always get, who will build the roads? <laughs> Another one that might surprise you, he wasn't really, he never really described himself as a communist, but when he was on my program, uh, Gene Epstein, who is, of course, uh, the moderator of the great Soho Forums in New York City. He was also former editor of Barron's. And when he was on the show, he told me that his mother was actually a literal card-carrying member of the Communist Party. She had the actual card. Uh, so he was raised by a communist, and, um, but then his dad was also a businessman, so he sort of had a conflict where his mother was a communist, but his dad was a successful businessman. So he always had these ideas in his head of socialism versus capitalism and, and what the really, the really truth was. And uh, when he went to college and started studying economics, as you might expect, he was uh, largely studying under progressive economists and learning all about all the graphs and the charts and the macroeconomics. And uh, it was only when he came across a book called Man, Economy, and State by Murray Rothbard that he, uh, that he started to refine his economic views and expand them to everything, becoming, again, a passionate libertarian, uh, leading to a long career reaching hundreds of thousands of people uh, over the decades uh, through Barron's, through his, his work as editor and as a columnist there. There's one more type of libertarian I'd like to talk about. These are the people that are, I would describe as sort of the polit politically homeless or the naturally, naturally born libertarian. People that always felt that there was a problem with the way things were being presented, but maybe couldn't quite put their finger on it until they were led down a certain path. Um, one of these is a gentleman by the name of Glenn Jacobs. He's also known as the WWE wrestler Kane, and I think it might be safe to say that he is probably the most libertarian mayor in the country now that our friend Jeff Hewitt has moved on to higher office, even though he is a Republican, um, but philosophically speaking. Uh, and on episode six of Lions of Liberty, way back in the day, uh, Glenn told me that he always really, he always felt outside of, of the current political paradigm. Uh, when he was growing up, he was always interested in politics, but he never really knew what he was. He never, sometimes he thought he was a conservative, and sometimes he thought he was a liberal. And it was only when a friend of his, who I happen to know was actually his tag team partner at the time, but that's neither here nor there, um, just said one day, you know, you kind of sound like a libertarian. And he went, oh, I don't know what that is. And he started reading and, said, and reading and reading and reading. And as he started reading and uh, learning more about economics, and, he, and um, he started to realize that you can't separate economic freedom from personal freedom. And that was the great divide that he had been facing this whole time. Because when he, when he was in favor of economic freedom, he thought he was a conservative. And when he was in favor of personal freedom, oh, he's, that's why he thought he was a Democrat. But the truth was that these, this is a false paradigm. They, they're actually the exact same thing, economic freedom and personal freedom. And uh, that led him to become a passionate libertarian. And of course, he's written many articles and gone on to become the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. And he also cited, interestingly enough, uh, the work of Mary Ruart and her book, Healing Our World in an Age of Aggression, as a major influence on him, which you might not expect from someone who chokeslams people through tables for a living and sometimes <laughs> sets them on fire. So there's that.
Um, another guy, I don't think he's in the room, but another guy um, who's out here at the convention today that uh, fits into this category is a gentleman by the name of Larry Sharp. I'm sure you've all met Larry Sharp. And uh, when he was on my show in 2016, it was when he was running for vice chair of the Libertarian Party, a position he only missed by 30 votes. So your votes do count if you show up at convention, my friends. And um, he told me, too, that he, he kind of jumped between being a Democrat and being a Republican back to being a Democrat. He liked Ronald Reagan, so he was inspired by him and was sort of a Republican then. Uh, he went and supported Barack Obama because he found him inspiring. But he never really felt like at, at home anywhere until in 2012, he heard a guy named Gary Johnson speak about government in a way he had never heard before, in a way that was different from just the way that, that um, Democrats and Republicans were speaking. And that led him down the political, the, the uh, new philosophy and got him involved in the Libertarian Party. And the longer he's been here, the, the more he's felt that this is the right place for him, that this is the place with the consistent philosophy. That's something he mentioned several times in our interview, that this is the one place that he found consistency. Even when he didn't even fully understand every idea or didn't really agree with every position right off the bat, he at least could say, this is a place where people are consistent. This is the place that people are passionate. This is a place that people, where people are actually trying to advocate for, for real change. They're not just trying to grab power. If you're trying to grab power, you're not going to be in this room. Or if you are, I mean, I don't know what you're doing here. There's other places to be if you want to grab power. Um, so, of course, Larry went on to run the most successful campaign for the governorship of New York, um, guaranteeing ballot access in the next election for that state, for libertarians across the state. And he went on to also start his new podcast, The Sharp Way, trying to nip at the tails of Lions of Liberty. So, let's see how he does. Um, another guy I'll put in this category, heck, I haven't interviewed him, but that's me. Uh, like I said, I grew up in a Republican household. My dad always listened to Limbaugh and Hannity and all this stuff. And I remember thinking in the, you know, when I'd, I'd ride him in the car with him, I, I would think to myself, some of this makes sense, but then I'd hear other things. And, I'd, and I would just, I, I remember asking questions of him. And he told me this when I interviewed him as well. I'd always be asking questions. I'd always be saying, well, why should there be a law about that? Why should the government be doing this? And so I, I feel like I never really felt... I mean, I, I believed in some of the things he said. Other things didn't really add up to me. But I kind of did sort of, I guess, side more with the Republican side of things just because that's the way I was raised. And I did actually <clears throat> vote for George W. Bush in the year 2000. Yeah, oh, <laughs> And um, But one of the reasons I did that besides the fact I just didn't know, didn't know much about politics, and that's what my dad seemed to think was the best thing to do, is that he was against nation building and against going overseas. And, well, I guess that didn't really work out. <laughs> and I became very opposed to war. I actually started around this time reading the writing of Ron Paul before he was even running for president. Uh, I was heavily influenced by both Ron Paul and the writing of Harry Brown. So this platform can, can be influential, uh, both former uh, libertarian presidential candidates. And... Um, yeah, when I started to be, really become anti-war and really oppose foreign policy, I mean, my first reaction was, okay, well, I know George Bush is bad because he's doing all that stuff, so maybe the Democrats are better. Maybe that's what I should be. And then I saw who the Democrats put up as the competition, and it was a guy named John Kerry, whose biggest problem with the war seemed to be, like, we didn't have enough allies coming in, or maybe we didn't go in on the right day. You know, it wasn't, wasn't really any kind of principled opposition. So in 2004, I cast my first vote for a libertarian. I voted for libertarian presidential candidate Michael Badnarik. I knew nothing about him. I just knew he wasn't them. <laughs> and, I, and I knew he was something different. And, of course, that led me to think further and further about the philosophy. And then when, uh, when Ron Paul, again, this guy keeps coming up, was on stage in, uh, in 2007, um, and I'd already known of his writing and all this, um, it really struck a chord with me, the way he was so passionate, uh, the way that, again, while he's literally being made fun of by the moderators, laughed at and mocked by his opponents, he's up there not just not backing down, he's doubling down on everything he's saying. Uh, I'll never forget when, when Rudy Giuliani... Um, demanded that he apologize, that Ron Paul apologize for uh, suggesting that, ter that our foreign policy, that bombing people around the world might actually have consequences, that they might not actually like when they get bombed, they might even get mad, and there might even be something called terrorism that happens as a result. And uh, Rudy had never heard of this before, apparently, so he demanded, Dr. Paul, I, I, please, I please ask you to, I don't want to do a lisp, if anybody has a lisp here, that's really offensive. <laughs> but I can't stand the way this man talks. Um, <laughs> And he demanded that Dr. Paul apologize, and instead of apologizing, he doubled down and said, well, no, I think you're just actually very misinformed. He was even kind enough to later provide Mr. Giuliani with a reading list of books so he could learn more about the concept of blowback, which uh, I'm not sure he ever got around to reading. Uh, but that really inspired me. And his passion really inspired me, inspired me to try to find my voice as well. And um, that's what eventually led to me, of course, starting Lions of Liberty, led to me 
on this podium today. Again, rethinking some of my decisions in life. Um, <laughs> I did get the ad money from Michael Bolton, though. That, I just saw that come through on the Venmo, so there's that. Um, the last guy that falls into this category, he's come up quite a few times. Uh, that is actually Ron Paul himself. Uh, I got to interview Ron Paul on my 200th episode, and um, he told me on that episode that he always felt he was kind of naturally born a libertarian. Uh, he always had a, a sort of individualist streak, streak, and it was actually works of fiction, like Atlas Shrugged and Dr. Zhivago, that led him down the physical, philosophical rabbit hole and led him to learn more about economics. And uh, it was actually finally the act of Richard Nixon decoupling the dollar from the gold standard that led him to just say, I can't be silent about this anymore. I have to get involved. And that led to him running for office and, and you know, talking about these things and uh, talking about the Federal Reserve. Uh, he foresaw the consequences of allowing the government to create money out of thin air. And he foresaw how much larger and more tyrannical our government would get. He foresaw how wars could be expanded all over the world when there's no fiscal restraint. And uh, he foresaw a lot of the economic problems that we're still dealing with today. So this leads to the question, what can, we, what can we learn from all this? What can we learn from these people and the different paths that they've taken? And the question is, what do these, these people have in common? And they have a couple things in common. One is that they were already passionate. Um, you know, creating passion in someone that's not there, that's not really my area of expertise. I'm sure it's something that can be done, but oftentimes when people find these ideas, it's because they're already passionate about something. They already want to help the poor. They already have a sense that something is wrong in the political system, a sense of injustice. They just don't know where, where to go with it. They just don't know, you know, they haven't done enough, you know, thought, they haven't put enough thought into it, or they haven't just found the right people. They just hear a lot of noise, and they're always searching for a home. And, uh, but the other part, thing that they have in common is that they were inspired by somebody else. Whether it's just a friend that got in their ear at a bar one day or just said, hey, I think you sound like a libertarian. Or whether it's a work of fiction um, or they heard another politician talking about government in a way they never heard before. It always takes somebody else to lead someone down a new path. And that's why what we're doing here is so important. Again, the most important task we can all have is to create more libertarians. We're not going to get everything we want done. We're not going to see uh, an end to all the wars. We're not going to see an end of the war on drugs. We're not going to see all the changes that we want to see in the world with just the people in this room or just the people in this convention or just the libertarians that currently exist around the country and around the world. We need a lot more, a whole lot more, to really see more justice in the world. And the only way we're going to get that is by being passionate ourselves and doing the same things that brought all of these people to the ideas of liberty. Um, and that passion can come out in any way. Uh, it, it doesn't even need, you don't need to produce anything per se. You don't need to be Ayn Rand and write huge long novels. Um, but you know, the, the point is of finding your passion wherever that is and putting it out there all the time. Um, just being infectiously passionate because eventually if you're infectiously passionate, others will become infected. They will see it. They will sense it. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone message me out of nowhere or mention something out of nowhere. People that I never knew were even following what I was doing, especially when you're a podcaster and you put something out there and especially when you're starting podcasting and you don't see any numbers. But even when you see the numbers go up and up, it's, it's hard to realize that you're actually affecting people because they're just numbers. But it's when you actually meet people that say, oh, I've been listening to your show and I'm actually starting to think about things different. I love what you're doing. And especially when it comes from somewhere you didn't expect, which happens all the time. So trust me, when you're passionate about things and when you're always out there talking about this stuff, people are listening, whether they're people you don't realize are listening or not. People are out there, and if you continue to be passionate and continue to, to sort of speak your truth in the same way Ron Paul did, people that are already passionate are going to catch on to that, and hopefully some of them will also come down a path or two themselves. So I encourage you to listen to more of these stories by checking out my podcast, Lions of Liberty, um, and you can wait around a few minutes and hear more from uh, Brian, who's a part of that as well. And that's all I got, friends. Hey there, Liberty Kitties. Time to take a quick time out to tell you about one of our longtime supporters. His name is Tyler Colford, and he goes by the pseudonym Crypto Man. That's his rapping name. That's right. He is a rapper as well. He does some awesome stuff, and he recently produced a track called Free Ross. Now, uh, as many of you know, Ross Ulbrich was sentenced to, I don't know exactly how many years, but many, many, many life sentences uh, for his creation of the Silk Road website. Uh, he was sent to jail for drugs. Drug trafficking, quote unquote, among many other 
things. And uh, he really is a poster child for the rights to so many different things, uh, the rights to trade, uh, the war on drugs, uh, basically any anything libertarians care about, Ross Ulbricht is, is sort of an example of. So I want you to check out this track, Free Ross. It is going to be available starting March 27th. That is Ross Ulbricht's 35th birthday, and 100% of the proceeds will go to the Ross Freedom Foundation, which is uh, helping to free Ross and bring more awareness to his situation. Do check out the links. I will put them all over at lionsofliberty.com slash free Ross for ease of use. You can also pre-order it on Google Play. Again, 100% of the proceeds of this track will be going to help free Ross. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes and they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide. New slave labor, they barely pay you. Don't care about work ethic or major. And we got like 20 minutes. I'm here for question and answers if anybody has any questions or if anybody has an interesting story themselves about how they came to these ideas or anything like that and wants to come up and share it, I'm happy to do that as well. Yes, Mr. Bolton, did you have a story to share? No. Okay. It's well, a great story. story. I have no story. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anybody so, got anything? Hey, Mark? <laughs> yes. Can you tell me how technology has changed from the time you started to now in podcasting? Technology has changed. Well, as we know, electronics and all this are always getting cheaper and better. So it, every, pretty much every year, it becomes easier to become a podcaster. Um, it, it, Ten years ago, it would probably be super challenging um, before we had really inexpensive microphones and that sort of thing. But honestly, right now, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a huge difference between when I started and now. Um, but right now, it's so easy. Like you, I mean, you can buy a microphone for $60 that you can plug into your computer and you can buy some... You don't even need to buy official audio padding. You can just get a bunch of carpets and sheets, and you can sit in a room, and you can be a podcaster. I mean, it's that sad. I don't want to make it sound that simple. Like, anybody can do it. But anybody can do it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know how if technology has really changed that drastically in the last six years, other than the fact that it's just, I think, home podcasting and that sort of thing has become more popular. So there's more products out there, and just, you know, you can always find, like, and you can find anything from a, a cheap setup to a really expensive setup. But I don't think it's changed super drastically since I started about six years ago. Sir, yes. Uh, so two things. Yeah. Uh, so first, I can tell a little story about myself. Sure. Do you want to come up to the mic? In fact, why don't we just why don't we just do that? Great. Thanks. Uh, uh, so my name's Ed Wimmers. I'm from Santa Clara County, um, and uh, this I was in high school, and uh, I went to a uh, Jesuit high school. And uh, they talked about the principle of subsidiarity, which is, um, it, it was like, presented as like actually something that the Catholic Church thought was pretty good, if, if I recall correctly, and I may not be recalling correctly. And I thought, oh, well, that's pretty cool. And I even remember, and this is a long time ago, um, giving a talk in high school, uh, we had speech class, and I gave a talk about how we should privatize the post office, and I referred to the principle of subsidiarity. So, uh, so that's kind of, you know, how it started. Uh, and then later on, it, you know, it just became more passionate. But um, that was really the beginning. So that actually leads me to a question. So um, what about, uh, so it seems to me that religion and the government are natural enemies in the sense that they're both looking for moral authority or some kind of authority like you know this is this is you know where i take my orders from so to speak so do you have anything to say about that like the interaction between religion and um you know the uh, sort of people coming to libertarianism or at least moving away from statism well, that was a curveball. I don't usually speak on theological matters. <laughs> but um, are, are you asking more like how they do interact or how they should interact? Well, either, but, but right. more like uh, it seems like there, there's like a natural... 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do notice in some some people I've interviewed have, have kind of, and it depends, some people come from a perspective where their religion actually led them more to libertarian ideas uh, when they actually tried to follow, much like that when they try to follow a philosophical truth to the right end. Often when people try to follow their religious truths to the right end, they do actually come to the idea, okay, yes, my religion isn't advocating violence. My religion isn't advocating aggression. So then this doesn't really make sense for my philosophy. I also have interviewed people that have sort of rejected, you know, maybe were raised religious, but had sort of an independent streak. And maybe they rejected the religion they were raised in, and that sort of tied in with their rejection of, of government and rejection of everything they've been told about that as, as they've kind of grown up. So I don't know if that's quite answering the question that you have. But, well, just yeah. to follow yeah. up, uh, so if you look at, say, the core of libertarianism, you could call it the non-aggression principle. And if you look at the core of, say, I'm not going to talk about all religion, but Christianity, it's like, it's love thy neighbor. Mm-hmm. And those are very consistent. Right. I mean, they're not at all at odds. So if you take the core of the two, there's mm-hmm. actually synergy. Yeah, that's something Dr. Ron Paul would talk about all the time. He would talk about the golden rule. Um, he spoke about it in somewhat. I mean, he came from a religious background and kind of from that perspective of things. And he would apply that same concept to, to libertarianism. And I think that can be an effective way to speak to people if you're in the religious area uh, to sort of kind of what you're saying, like take, take this actual concept, love thy neighbor and apply it to government, apply it to what you're doing in life. Don't just go to church and say it and then come to government where you advocate for something completely different, where you're advocating for violence against your neighbors, violence against your neighbor. Uh, that's the exact opposite of what you, you've, you've kind of um, spoken about in other areas of your life. So I think that is definitely one area where if you're already in that realm and you have people that claim to believe these things, I think really not challenging people I think it's better to not challenge people's beliefs in a way that's direct, like, you're wrong, you're wrong, but to say, hey, in a positive way, like, this love thy neighbor thing, why don't we explore that a little more? What does this actually mean? Do you actually mean that? If you do, well, how do we apply that to government? How do we apply that to other aspects of our lives? So I think that's certainly a, a tactic to take. Yes, ma'am. My name is Serene Ardellianu. I'm actually a presidential candidate. And part of the reason that I decided to run as libertarian is because I've been studying natural laws since about 2011. And I've been correlating universal truths, so looking at theology and looking at science at the same time. And what I've realized is that they say the same thing, just using a different vocabulary. So if you look at typical theology, most religions tell us there's just one God and that God is everywhere in you and me and in this, you know, some people call it consciousness. You look at science, they say there's only one thing in the world, it's energy. It's everywhere, it's the same thing. Both God and energy can't be created, can't be destroyed. So when you look at treating your neighbor a certain way, it's like, it's part of you, right? Like whatever, I can't have a single thought without affecting you, so why would I even choose to have negative thoughts? Um, And so what I really liked about the Libertarian Party to bring this all together is that in nature, because we are animals, we're mammals, okay, like the same laws that apply to animals apply to us, and so if government interferes with our natural learning process where we're not learning from, you know, cause and effect, right, like right now we have a government that interferes, like if you make a right decision, they penalize you, if you make a bad decision, they rescue you, so you're learning incorrectly, and so instead of evolving as a species and as an individual, you're devolving. And so I just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention because I believe we all understand this, but I think that's also why the Libertarian Party makes sense. And this is a great way to speak to people on all sides is realize like it doesn't matter if you believe in religion or you believe in science, it's the same thing, but you have to meet people where they're at. So that's it. Thank you. Any other questions, stories? Yes, sir. How are you? Hey, <laughs> Adam. Adam Jones, everybody. So, a long time ago... Would you like a microphone? Well, I, I, do I need a microphone? I think I can project. I think you can. Okay. All right, project away. But I just wanted to say a short, like, little commentary on how I came to libertarianism. Short answer is Ron Paul. The long answer, however, is Mark Clare coming over to me in a parking lot and, hey, you want to read a book? I was like, will you read a book? I was like, yeah, I'll read a book. And, uh... <laughs> I don't remember this. I was probably high. (laughs) But you were like, hey, here's a copy of Ron Paul's The Revolution. Um, And immediately, inside myself at the time, I was still like on the fence. Like I was mostly like, yeah, get rid of all this stuff. I love Ron Paul. But I didn't 
love the foreign policy because they didn't get that yet as raised in a, like a military family. Yeah. So I was like, okay, thanks, thanks, Mark, but I'm just gonna debunk Ron Paul. But what was in my head? So it's so like reading uh, page after page at the very beginning. The first thing he goes into is the foreign policy, and I started like having uh, deep moral convictions. I mean, he goes through the founders and you know the Christian justification for war and stuff like that, and then I ended up. Uh, having a genuine conversion experience. It was like, I cried because I realized that I was out of phase with uh, how I act towards other people and who I am versus an idea I held, which was uh, simplified as, uh, nobody wants war, but they're trying to kill us, so we have to kill them all. And that's a terrible <laughs> way to think about anything. And I was super convicted by Ron Paul and his book, and, and I have you to thank for completely switching so I appreciate that well, awesome I got at least one then <laughs> this guy well this is why he's gonna come up and talk about libertarians leading comedy in a few minutes here um, let's see got a few minutes if anybody else has any other questions or comments or stories yes sir why don't you come up to, just because I'm recording this, I want to have, uh, yeah, have you on the mic. Not everyone can project like Adam Jones. Well, hi, my name is Maria. Um, well, you, know, you went through all the categories of people who joined came to libertarianism. I fit into none of the above category. <laughs> so my background is now I came to this country about 20 years ago. And uh, I became a citizen about seven years ago. So I bashed myself with a party. And I, I wanted to, you know, this country has given me so much to me and my family, but I want to be more civic and active participant and make, hey, what do we live for my kids and moving forward? So just reading through, you know, I felt that this resonates with me personally, with my conviction, my spiritual conviction and my political conviction too. So that's how I came to join this party. So, you know, um, I, I feel uh, one of the things that I want to share is, you know, when we, I became a citizen in this country and say, hey, I want to participate in a civic forum, I didn't hear about Libertarian Party. So I think we should get reach more to the people who are becoming new citizens and, you know, kind of, kind of convey what do we stand for more and more. So I had to find the libertarian, I had to find my way. Nobody kind of reached out, you know, say I had to do some digging to see what do we really stand for. So I think this pr pretty much, in you know, reading the Constitution and the libertarian values, I think there is more alignment um, between our party uh, guidelines and principles with the constitutions than what I see out there. That so why, that's my view. Is that why that resonated with you, like becoming a citizen, that you, you're learning about all these values, but then this is the only place you actually see them, in effect? Yeah, it's for most part. At least that's what I feel. So I just thought I'll share that with everyone here. So awesome. thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Anybody, got, anybody else got a story, a question? We have time. We have time. Yeah, come on up. <laughs> You can blame Bolden for that projector. Hi, I'm Andy. Um, I, um, I, I identified as a libertarian in the, the days of Vietnam and the draft. And at those days, the, the draft was a big part of the Libertarian Party platform. And I'm just curious if you've learned or observed any differences in generations over time and also perhaps what that says about the need for a movement to adapt to the, the change in times. It's hard to say about generations because I, I feel like I've interviewed so many people that come from different generations but also come from different backgrounds. So I think in many ways it might be the background more than the generation, but the generation you're in, of course, will influence your background. I mean, my dad was... a uh, in Vietnam, not as a protester <laughs> and not as a not as a visitor. So, uh, from his generation as a veteran, but I, like I said, for him, he was a veteran. He was there, so he would be on one side of things. Whereas people protesting that same draft are going to come from a different side of things. So I don't know if you can say there's generation generationally kind of exact pathways to these things, but I think they're kind of 
sort of individual based on the generation. So from where your perspective from that generation, that was a natural place to get into the Libertarian Party. If my dad saw the draft, you know, protesting from the Libertarian Party, he might have just said, I got to get away from these people. Um, so I think it really just depends on uh, more situation, situationally than it is generationally. That's what I notice. All right. Anybody else? We got one more in the back. I can. Um, so, uh, I'm uh, 25 years as an educator. I teach U.S. history and government, which gives me a kind of a unique environment. I'm also a community college professor. And when I had started out, I was a nonpartisan. I wouldn't identify because my parents were Democrats and my grandparents were Republicans, and my job was to keep the peace. So um, I didn't change my party until I moved to California in 1992 because I heard Bill Clinton talk. And it scared me. <laughs> uh, and so I voted and uh, became a Republican. And then we went to Iraq and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so um, in uh, 2007, I was named a senior fellow of the James Madison Foundation. I got to go to uh, Washington D.C. and do six graduate courses, uh, six graduate credits in, uh, in Georgetown, all on James Madison and the Framers. And that's when I was like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is what they meant." And that's how I ended up as being a libertarian, is because the only party that was still seeming to give any kind of credence to what the Framers were talking about, or what natural rights mean, or anything in government, was to actually. Uh, you know, follow the rules. And so um, I've been doing speeches now. I go out there and do different things. And it's amazing how many young people are out there that really want to do good things for people and the country and, and whatnot. And it's amazing how when you put in non-aggression principle or just to go to them and say, well, what does compassion mean? And when they say to you, well, I think we should be helping the poor, and I say, well, what, what does that mean? And they say, well, we need to tax the wealthy. And I said, well, that's not you helping the poor, is it? Right? And so um, for the past four years, I've been working on a book, which I just published last month, called The American Revolution. I'm going to need you to purchase some ad time for me for this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, the, the thing is, right, we're having problems getting more libertarians but when you walk, watch the number, I'm the vice chair of the San Diego Libertarian Party. We have 16,500 registered libertarians in San Diego County. Only 200 are actually party members. And that's a problem. So I would ask you, how, how would you uh, advocate just reaching that crowd first? Because if you don't get them active, how do you go to the places and all these other categories that you gave us today? Uh, I would say more parties. <laughs> I'm half joking, but I, I think, I mean, for me, I was never active in the Libertarian Party until just a couple of years ago. I just was just podcasting and opining, and it was actually only through covering candidates. I, I started getting candidates reaching out to me uh, prior to the 2016 convention. Suddenly, I was getting emails from everybody who was running for chair, uh, running for president, and I was like, okay, I guess I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. So I started interviewing all of them and seeing their passion and how they diverted their energy into the party really inspired me. Like, okay, maybe I should get involved in the party as well. So kind of uh, maybe it's a cop-out answer, but in a way, I just think showing your passion and showing that that you have fun in the party too i mean making i think for a lot of people that this part seems really boring you know people get excited about the ideas they want to talk about them but coming here to a convention and doing business it, it just doesn't seem exciting so i think you need to make it seem exciting however that may be whether it's through exuding your own passion out there when you're talking about this stuff or just making these events fun <laughs> and uh, that's what we're trying to help do here today so um, yeah, I don't know if, how, how specific of an answer I have, but obviously reaching, you know, we're talking about reaching people outside of libertarianism, but we need, like you said, there's already a bunch of libertarians that have these beliefs that aren't involved in the party. So in that sense, I think the same principle still applies, though. You have to exude your passion and just find ways to show people that, hey, we have fun here, too, you know? The bar's been open since 7 a.m. It's okay. <laughs> uh, that's all the time I have. Thank you so much for coming. I really do appreciate it. I really am sorry that you missed the truth about 9-11. Uh, it was Bigfoot, though. Bigfoot did it. 
All right, and that's a wrap. And uh, it was nice to see my old friend Adam Jones appear at the Q&A and uh, sing my praises for for finally uh, getting him all the way over to the ideas of liberty. I didn't even realize that I had done that (laughs) until he came and showed up there. So uh, that was a nice little segment of that uh, for me personally. But it it really does just go to show you that if you continue to advocate and be passionate for these ideas, no matter where you are, whether it's just a a Facebook post or out with a group of friends or uh, in the parking lot behind a bar, apparently, (laughs) where I I gave him the Ron Paul Revolution book, you never know who's going to take those ideas and go on their own journey from there. Uh, And Adam certainly did. He's a very passionate libertarian uh, right now. So it was great to see him there. Great to see so many faces at the Libertarian Party of California State Convention. Again, head over to our uh, YouTube page, our Facebook page. We've got a great video of our experience there. And again, I will also post that over today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 444. Again, folks, I told you we are going to be taking advantage of this time that we have due to the current situation. So expect more content than usual coming from us. And especially for our Patreon people, you'll get everything we do as we do it. And again, we will be donating 10% of our Patreon proceeds to Donor C for their fight to help people that are being affected by coronavirus and by all the economic fallout. So please do head over to patreon.com slash lions of liberty if you're interested in helping support this show and helping people that are uh, suffering from these effects at the same time. And of course, like I said, we are going to be putting our all into this thing. This may be the moment. This may be the point where we put so much into the podcast because of this time we have that we can really take things to a whole nother level. So that Patreon money will help us now more than ever, and I can promise you it will go to very good use, both on expanding and growing this podcast and on helping people that are facing a difficult situation through our uh, pledge to help donor C. So please do listen a little later today. If you're listening to this on Monday, I will have a conversation with Greg Glyer about what donor C is doing to help people with coronavirus. And uh, so stay tuned to that. And of course, stay tuned for all sorts of content coming from us here at Lions of Liberty, as well as the regular lineup of this flagship Monday show, Brian. Ryan on Wednesdays with Electric Liberty Land and John on Fridays with his hard-hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system. This stuff is more important than ever, my friends, and I'm so glad and so privileged to have you all here along roaring with us all the way because we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop fighting for liberty. We're not going to stop fighting for what's right, and we hope you are here to join us along the way. And until next time, my friends, live long and live free.